I'm going to ask you to take God's Word in your hands and turn to the uh, Gospel of Luke this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, grab your pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you and find uh, the passage on page 855. And we've been in a series uh, the last couple of weeks that we have entitled The Glorious Sounds of Christmas. And uh, we are excited about what God is teaching us through uh, the lessons of the first uh, Christmas carols that were sung by the original recipients of the message uh, of Christmas, that first Christmas season. We saw Gabriel speak to Zechariah last week and proclaim the coming of uh, a newborn who is going to come and change the world and be the preparer of the way of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And it was a miracle birth because Zechariah and Elizabeth were both well beyond childbearing years and God was going to grace them and give them a child that uh, they would come to love and see God work mightily in his way. And Zechariah breaks out in the first of the Christmas carols and he announces to the world uh, that God is his great hope and God is his great redeemer and he praises and worships the name of the newborn king that was going to come. Not his own son, but the king that was going to follow after the son that was given to him. And this week we come to a passage uh, where we hear from Jesus' own words, I'm sorry, Jesus' mom's own words, Mary, where she praises the name of her God in heaven for the birth of this son who is going to come and redeem mankind back to himself, uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. And Mary uh, sings a song of praise that moves her from a place of anxiety to great adoration. And this morning, I want to focus in on that theme, moving us from anxiety to adoration. You know, music has a way of, of taking care of some emotions. Music has a way of addressing uh, some of the things that concern us most. In the Old Testament, we are reminded of a story where the first king of Israel, Saul, is greatly vexed and, and struggling with his emotions. And he asks for the best musician in the land to come and play for him. And that would be David, who would one day become king, would play on his harp, and it would soothe the heart of of great consternation in Saul. And music has that way of doing that, taking away our anxiety, our concerns. Country music singer Travis Tritt in an interview once said that he saw the power of music one day in a backcountry Texan bar where things had gotten out of hand. With big burly guys and too much alcohol, a brawl broke out. And when it seemed as if chaos was going to ensue, Travis did something in which he experienced what he said was a Christmas miracle in the heat of Texas in July. He said, I didn't know what to do, and things started to get really, really ugly. He said, I even saw someone brandish a gun. And he said, in that moment, I did the only thing that came to mind. I began to pluck on my guitar the song and melody, Silent Night. And I began to sing it. And wouldn't you believe it? The brawl stopped. And he said, I saw motorcycle guys big burly guys break down and cry. He said, it's there that I learned that music can soothe even the most savage of beasts. And maybe this morning, you've had an emotional run, you've had difficulty in your life, and and a song, a particular melody, brings you great peace and solace in a time of great hurt and pain. 
Well, the song we're looking at this morning is, is very different. And while music can soothe the savage beast, music can also start a revolution. And we see that in the life and, and song of Mary, recorded in Luke chapter 1. Mary is going to declare praises about her son that would revolutionize the world. Some individuals have spoken about this song. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, instructed missionaries to India never to read the words of this Christmas song in public because it could incite riots in the street. E. Stanley Jones, a Methodist preacher, once said, speaking of Mary's song, it is the most revolutionary song in the history of the world. Uh, Another writer said that when you read the lyrics of this carol, you sniff the powder of dynamite. Mary's song, or as the church has declared, the Magnificat, which speaks of her as she magnifies the name of Jesus, the one who would be born to her, is a work of an unmarried teenage peasant girl who had just found out that she was pregnant. This girl that we know to be Mary would be the one who would serve God and in some ways even serve us as being the mother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's something about Mary that makes all the difference in the world. As we explore the life and times of Mary, we are taught an amazing lesson this Christmas. A lesson that I think many of us need to know. And that is for many of us, this Christmas is a time of great anxiety and anxiousness. And Mary's going to show us how to move from anxiety to acceptance to adoration. Because it's when we come and adore the person and work of Jesus Christ that all of our concerns, all of our struggles, while they may not disappear, they seemingly fall to the wayside so that we can see God truly at work for who he is and what he has done and so this morning let's go on that journey as we see her move from anxiety to adoration our first point this morning is that to have ourselves a merry little christmas we've got to recognize this morning that sometimes we're going to live lives of anxiousness we're going to be anxious notice in the text that we learn some things about this situation luke tells us starting in verse 26 in the sixth month of the uh, in the sixth month the angel gabriel was sent from god to a city of galilee named nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was joseph of the house of david and the virgin's name was mary And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, a couple things we need to recognize this morning of what's going on. Number one, Luke tells us, as the great historian that he is, that all of this transpires in the sixth month. Well, the sixth month of what? The year? The sixth month of, of what in Mary's life? Well, if you read back just a couple verses, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth, her cousin's pregnancy with John the Baptist. Now, we learned about that last week. This aged woman who has been given this birth, uh, this baby who's going to be birthed, and now she's in the sixth month of pregnancy of this promised baby that her husband Zechariah had heard from Gabriel 
was going to come. So we've got the time place that it takes place. We learn that this woman that is going to give birth to Jesus, her name is Mary. We know that she's from the city of Nazareth. Now what do we know about Nazareth? Nazareth is a town in the backwoods of the area of Judea. It's not spoken of very well. In fact, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry here, someone asked where he was from, and they said he's from Nazareth, and the response was, can any good thing come from that town? And so this town is in a place of great importance. This town isn't well-known or well-revered as a place you would want to visit. It's a town for, for in many ways, very similar to the towns we live in, obscure places in the world. Now we're told the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and that Mary is a virgin who is betrothed or engaged to a man named Joseph. Now, the the virginity speaks of your purity, and it speaks of the miraculous nature of what is about to transpire. She's not been with a man, and therefore cannot be pregnant, but that's not the case with Mary, because we're going to see the great incarnation take place. We are also told that she's engaged, which really means it's different than how we would view engagement. They are married in every way except for the consummation of that marriage, and they are beginning to do life as husband and wife, and and the only way to get rid of that engagement would to offer a certificate of divorce to render that engagement null and void. And so we see that uh, this situation is a tenuous one at best. Finally, we see that she is favored and graced by God for a particular purpose and role. And for that, as Elizabeth says, she should be blessed among all women and in many ways respected among all generations. She seemingly is one of the most interesting people that has ever lived and walked this earth because of the grace of Almighty God working in and through this humble vessel. Now, We see right away that in this uh, declaration that is given that she has reason to be anxious. Notice verse 29, we are told that she is greatly troubled or greatly distressed at the angel coming. Now, we need to be understanding of her that this doesn't speak of her faithlessness or, or anything else, but she's just been visited by an angel. And if any one of us were visited by an angel, our response would be very similar. We would be greatly troubled. And here's how we know why. Men and women, young and old, everyone who has come into the presence of an angel has been in a place of great fear. We're going to see that tomorrow as we visit the song of the uh, angels when they announced to the shepherds they were greatly dismayed by what they saw and filled with fear. But this word greatly distressed or greatly troubled is only used here in Luke one twenty nine, And it speaks of uh, an utter dismay. It speaks of a very emotional response. Being approached by Gabriel, it literally means that she was uh, oscillating or vacillating between two different emotions, one of excitement probably and one of great fear. And she's troubled by what she's heard. What would trouble her? Notice in the text what it says, what might have troubled her. It says that she was greatly troubled, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Well, 
That no doubt has not created any anxiety. To hear that God loves you and cares for you, that wouldn't produce any anxiety at all. It's the second part that causes anxiety. In verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now let's just stop there for a moment. What causes Mary great anxiety is very similar to the things that cause us great anxiety. Luke's going to share three reasons why Mary is anxious. And I think those three reasons can be applied to our own anxiety today. The first one is we become anxious when life throws us a curve. When we are thrown a curve. Gabriel says, okay, Mary, I've shown up unannounced. And before you, I'm going to declare to you what your future is going to look like. Your future involves a son. That son is going to be the Most High God. You are going to conceive a son. Now here's the problem. She says, I've never been with a man. We've got a problem. And so what she recognizes is God is about to throw a curve her way, meaning her life as she had planned is not going to be lived out as she once thought. As a young girl in Nazareth who was betrothed or engaged to a man, Joseph, she had plans and she had an order to the way her life was going to be. She was going to finish her engagement. She was going to get married, get to know her husband, have children, and, and grow old and enjoy uh, the great joy that comes with living life. But God says, listen, the order of things is going to be turned on its head. You are going to have a child, and that having of a child, you being uh, in your womb, conceived the Most High God, is going to change the way the world looks at you. It's going to change the way your parents look at you. It's going to change the way your fiancé looks at you. It's going to change the way that even you look at yourself. The way or the thoughts that you had of how life was going to be are not going to be the case. God throws Mary the ultimate curveball. What she had planned that day waking up and what she experienced in Gabriel's declaration changes her life forever. The way and plans and thoughts that she had of living life were gone. And a new normal was coming into existence. This morning, many of you have struggled with God throwing you a curve. Maybe it is as a result of things that maybe you didn't see coming. Maybe relationally, maybe financially. Maybe medically news came that you were planning on something and the doctors tell you a totally different thing. We have seen God throw curves. Even in this last week, I received news uh, this morning uh, via email that uh, Mike Oswald lost his dad this morning. A curveball right before Christmas. We know that Patricia Hanneberg is suffering with uh, the, the, uh, what seems to be inevitable loss of her mom, who's just been taken off life support and uh, seemingly in her last moments. These are things that we don't uh, think are going to happen when we uh, wake up and look to a new week. And God throws us curves, and it's the curveballs of life that give us anxiety. 
It's the medical report that we received that causes us anxiety. My mom recently had a knee replaced and she was in her second to last rehab for her knee only to get up after some stretching at the rehab center and have because of a a faulty device her femur break and have to go in again to the hospital, have a repaired femur and a new replaced knee. And I went and talked to my mom and said, Mom, how are you doing? She goes, I'm anxious. I said, it makes sense. It makes sense. When God throws us curves, all level of emotions can cause us to become undone. And that's what Mary has before her. She's anxious because she thought her life was put together and where it was going to go, she knew, only to find out that surprises were coming along the way. Notice number two, we become anxious when God gives you a difficult calling. Now notice the calling. It's one thing to be an engaged woman who's now going to have a child, but this is a child not of her own making. This is not a child of a bad decision that she made. This is not a child who's come as a result of her unfaithfulness to her uh, fiancé, Joseph. But this is something that God is going to do. Now notice in the text, it tells us, that this son, his name is going to be Jesus, verse 32, he'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, I know on the back of your car, you've got my kid as an honor student at such and such elementary school. I get that. But think of the pressure that Mary and Joseph must have had in being the mother and father of the Most High God. Think of the pressure that was upon them. That's a difficult calling. You're a teenage girl who has not experienced married life yet, and before you is an angel that's telling you you are going to not only carry in your womb, the Most High God, but you are going to bring Him into the world. You are going to love and care for Him. You're going to be responsible for Him. You're going to make sure He's well-fed. You're going to make sure He's well-taught. You're going to make sure He's well-adjusted. You're going to make sure he, need, he knows all that He needs to know, even though He's the omniscient second person of the Trinity. How many of you in that situation would be anxious? Right? I know as parents how anxious we are to make sure of our, our, our children are right, especially if first parents of a first child, how anxious we are and all our concerns, the first fever, the first cough, the first day of school, all of those things, anxiety fills us. Are they ready? Did we do a good job? But by the third kid, and just be real with you, we really don't care, right? Right? But the anxiety that we have as parents, now take that and exponentially multiply that to the anxiety that Mary must have had. What if I don't do well? What if this doesn't go right? What if I'm not ready? What if I this and what if that? Anxiety is found in the what ifs of life. And Mary had good reason to be concerned with regards to it. Notice finally that we become anxious when we know that we can fail. When we can fail. Mary knew herself. She knew that she was, listen, this is very important. Mary knew she was not equal to the task. 
She knew that she did not have, from a human standpoint, the ability, the grace, the love, the knowledge that she was going to need to give this child. She did not have it. And so there was a real temptation to believe that she was going to fail. And how often have we taken on things, callings by God, where we have thought we were going to fail? I remember early on as as a candidate for this role as pastor, 25, 26 years of age, not much experience, really no experience at all, and given this opportunity to be a pastor, and I remember talking with Amanda and saying, I, I, I don't think I've got it. I don't think I've got the requisite experience or knowledge to be able to fulfill this calling. Now, I believe God's calling me to it, but I don't think I can do it. What's going to happen when I run out of sermons? What's going to happen when I run out of wisdom? At 25, I didn't have much wisdom as it was. And yet what I've come to recognize is that we don't have what God calls us to. And that's why I'm so thankful that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so when God gives you something, just as God gave Mary this incredible responsibility, God began to qualify her. Not all at once, but with each and every day of His grace and mercy, He allowed her to be the mother that she needed to be, with the knowledge that she needed, with the grace that she needed, with the mercy that she needed, that she could be able to accomplish all that God had for her as she humbly and obediently walked with her God. We are anxious. Listen. We are anxious when we're thrown a curve, we're anxious when God gives us difficult callings, and we're anxious when we know we can fail. Now again, I know that there are some that are anxious for a lot of reasons. And that anxiety runs high. This week in our church family, after uh, three years of loving uh, three young girls, one of our families in our church, the Smith family, had to say goodbye because they were foster kids. And they returned these beautiful little girls to their birth mom. And I know Rebecca and Eric, probably no doubt, had great anxiety and still do. And so we recognize in this world, we have reasons to be anxious. But I want to remind you as an anxious pastor, that God says, be anxious for nothing. Now, how in the world can we be anxious for nothing in a world of anxiety when medical reports aren't where they need to be, where financial issues are there, where we've got to return foster kids, where we've got to say goodbye to moms and dads? How can we not be anxious? And the answer is found in Mary's example. She had every reason to be anxious about what was going to come. Her life was on the line. A woman who was not married yet, who was found to be with child, would be guilty of adultery, which came with it the sentence of stoning. Her life was at stake. How could she not be anxious? Notice that the reason why she moves from anxiousness to acceptance is what she sees in God. Notice she accepts some things about God. First of all, she accepts about God the certainty of His promises. The certainty of His promises. Gabriel shares the news. 
And he doesn't share it as if it might happen or it could happen, but that it will happen. He doesn't say, hopefully, if everything works out the way that it should, that this child is going to be born to you. If everything goes as we hope, then this baby will be here in nine months. That's not how Gabriel speaks. God does not speak with what ifs. God does not speak with maybes. God speaks with a clear I will. Now, I want you to notice something. The reason why we are anxious is because of the maybes. It's because of the what ifs. We're not usually anxious about the reality of things as they are. It is the concern of what might happen in the future that causes us worry and anxiety. God is not a God of anxiety. Why? Because in God's mind and in God's heart and in God's plans, there are no maybes. There are no what ifs. So we live in the world of what ifs and God lives in the world of I wills. You want to lose your anxiety? Start merging your what ifs with God's I wills. When you begin to see that God's will cannot be thwarted, that He loves you and cares for you, that He sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, and that He works all things together for your good, then anxiety will begin to be replaced with God's sovereignty over all things. So notice what Gabriel does. Gabriel says, I know you're unsettled, Mary, I know you are worried, Mary, so let me help you out. I want you to notice that what Gabriel does is he gives the unsteadied, the wavering Mary, the concerned and anxious Mary, a spiritual dose of Dramamine. And it settles her. And notice in verses 30 through 38, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to do something for me, okay? You don't get to usually talk in church. I want you to number... Each of the times you, you hear me say the word will or shall, will or shall, every time you do, listen, I want you to yell out the number uh, each one as it continues to increase, because I want you to see how determined and how confident Gabriel is that God is going to accomplish something. So let's start in, in verse 30. It says, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will, you guys are losing your passion, be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Notice he goes on in verse 35. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the the power of the the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. How many did we have? Ten times. I'm glad I have the elementary kids in here this morning. Ten times God says what I've told you about what's going to happen will take place. 
We need to have a certainty in the promises of God. Whatever you're anxious about, you can have confidence that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, that God has a direction that He's sending you in the trajectory of your life for a purpose and a reason. I've told you this, and I never want you to forget it. There's not a trial, there's not a tribulation, there is not something that brings you anxiety that has gone before you without, first of all, going across the desk of God saying, I'm going to allow this to take place. You've got to have confidence in that. And whether it's a death of a loved one, a medical issue, hard news, you don't have to be anxious because you can know my God who has allowed this to take place in my life has done so for my good and for His glory. And no matter how much it hurts, no matter how difficult it may be, I can have confidence that God amidst my struggle is still on His throne. Amen? When we have that, we will start to accept what God is doing. Number two, the certainty of His promises. Number two, the creativity of His plan. Right away, Mary could have said when she heard what Gabriel said, well, you've never done this before. And she would be right. Never before had a virgin be found to be with child. Never before had the Most High God entered into humanity put flesh on, and made his dwelling among us. And Mary could have said, God, you've never done this before, and so I'm only going to trust the things you've done and not what you could do. I want you to know that God has a lot of creativity. Just look at the world that we live in. The creativity of people and, and plants and animals and, and, and all of God's creation shows us He's a creative God. Well, His crea- creativity does not end with His creation. He thinks of creative ways to interact with His creation, to relate with His creation. And He says, Mary, what I'm about to do is going to knock your socks off. And Mary's like, I get it. And what God is going to do is He's going to do something that Mary never could have seen coming. So for you anxious hearts out there, do you believe in a God who can answer your prayer in ways that you never saw coming? In ways that you never would have thought possible? God has a creative plan with regards to your life. And some of His creativity may be the allowing of suffering in your life so that you will taste in even greater ways the goodness and the mercy of Almighty God in your life. He was knocking her socks off and God wants to do the same thing to you and I as He unveils His plan. Notice finally the credentials regarding His power. As if Mary needed anything more. Notice in verse 37, Gabriel says, okay, this is what God's going to do. And Mary's kind of vacillating and, and she's got good reason to do so. She's not rebelling as Zechariah did and pronouncing to God this can't happen. She's trying to figure it out. She's wrestling with these hard things. And, it, and Gabriel says, listen, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. So whatever anxiety, Mary, you have, you can accept this plan because with God, He can accomplish whatever concerns you, Mary. He can accomplish whatever He desires and He will give you all that you need to make it a reality. Because God, with man, it may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And what an important truth for us to hear this morning. 
You see, we live on this side of the earthly, heavenly line. We're holy in the world where things are tangible and things are impossible. And so we live here, and, and there are some, our, our marriages are falling apart, and we, we say with great sadness, it will never be the same again. I won't be the same, they won't be the same, and so we're consigned to this brutal marriage. And in that anxiety that you may have, what, what the angel Gabriel is saying to all of us is there is nothing impossible with God. He can restore your marriage. But this kid I've got, is nothing but trouble. He's never going to change. He's never going to pull it together. He's never. I'm just reciting words that my mom said years ago. He's never going to amount to anything. And God says, listen, there's nothing that's impossible with me. So moms, don't give up hope on your kids because God's not done with them and he's not done with you. Well, things are never going to be the same at work. My boss is never going to change. Whatever your situation is, whether it's medical, financial, spiritual, emotional, physical, what we need to recognize is God is announcing today through the incarnation of His Son, Jesus Christ, that nothing is impossible for Him. And so, when we are anxious... We need to take our concerns and our cares and we need to throw them to Jesus. Why? Because He cares for us. And He is the only one who can accomplish whatever concerns us today. So in your anxiety this morning, are you throwing it to Jesus? Are you throwing it to the God who can do the impossible? Or are you in this earthly sphere trying to deal with your anxiety, trying to address the what-ifs of your life, knowing that you have a God who loves you and cares for you and wants you to throw those anxieties to Him as Mary did. Mary said, listen, I accept them. I'll do whatever you want, Lord. Have your way. And He does. Notice this leads to adoration. Finally, to adoration. We pick up the story after she visits Elizabeth. We pick up the story, and I think that's an important thing that we don't want to miss out. In verse 39 through 45, Mary visits Elizabeth. Why would she visit Elizabeth? Well, she's told that Elizabeth is pregnant. Now we know she's in her sixth month, and so Mary goes, and she's in the final trimester uh, of her pregnancy, Elizabeth is. And Mary goes, and and she visits, and, and here's why. Mary needs encouragement. Mary needs confirmation. Mary needs to know that God is with her and that what's taking place is really there. Mary needs a tangible expression of how she needs to put her faith into God. And Elizabeth is the answer. Now, here's the thing about Elizabeth. Elizabeth is experiencing, listen, a lesser miracle than what Mary is experiencing. All Elizabeth is experiencing is a is an aged pregnancy, which is a miracle nonetheless, but it's a far lesser miracle than the virgin being conce- is conceived with a with a son. It's conceived in her a son. And so this is a greater miracle, but Mary needs to see it. Why? Because to do the greater, she would need to see God at work in the lesser. Now I want you to recognize something. 
As we worship and as we fellowship with brothers and sisters, we need one another so we can see the miracles that God is doing in the life of one another. That's one of the things that I love about this all-in journey we do is we pause and we stop and we put on the screen and we put on print the life change that's taking place so that we can say, God, just as you're at work in my own life, so too am I seeing your grace and your mercy in the life of people all around me. And this visit to Elizabeth brings great adoration. Notice what Mary says. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now and all generations will call me blessed, for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm and has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. There are three stanzas, if you will, or three themes of Mary's original Christmas carol. The first one is, is that this child that is going to be born to her, Jesus, is one who is going to come and rescue the helpless. Write that down. Rescue the helpless. Now here's the thing that we need to recognize. Number one, that Mary isn't saying that she's, that, that Jesus is going to help someone else. Mary says right away that she needs to be saved. She rejoices in God, her Savior. And so as a sinner in need of grace, she needs to be rescued. And she recognizes the people of Israel need to be rescued. And what we've come to know and recognize is that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we all need to be rescued. Christmas is a reminder And a time for us to praise the one who came and left heaven to seek and to save that which was lost. Don't allow this Christmas to go by without recognizing what Jesus did in leaving heaven to come and to rescue you and I from the sin penalty that we had, which was death. And Mary knows this and praises God for it. He has come to rescue the helpless. Number two. He goes, she goes on and she sings, he exalts the humble. She says that he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly, the humble. And what this reminder is, is that just as Mary who was low, she had nothing going for her, except she was a recipient of God's grace. God would raise her up, and as Elizabeth says, she would be blessed among all women and be known for generations as being the mother of Jesus. And just as she was being raised up, so we too can be raised up. We can be exalted. How can we be exalted? When we lower ourselves. When we make it about Jesus and not ourselves. You see, this Christmas, there's a competition going on. And I'm not going to say that the competition is between Jesus and Santa. I don't think that's the competition. The competition that is there is, is, is it about Jesus or is it about you and me? And for many of us in our heart, Christmas is all about us. 
It's about our needs, our desires, our wants, our wish list. But we need to ask the question this morning, am I willing this Christmas to humble myself and to move out of the way so Jesus can receive all the glory, so Jesus can receive all the gifts, so Jesus can receive all the honor? Or do I want to steal some of that from Jesus and take it on to myself? This Christmas, some of us have some questions to ask on whether Jesus is going to be number one or if it's going to be us. And that's going to to ask the question of how we spend our time, how we invest our money, how we engage in the traditions of Christmas. Is it about us or is it about Him? Mary says that He will exalt those who humble themselves. And finally... He'll fill the hungry. Verse 53, He satisfies the hungry with good things, and He sends away the rich empty. So this morning, as you try to grab all these things for yourself in in your arrogance and pride, as we do that as people, God says, you'll have nothing to show for it. But as you elevate and exalt the name and person of Jesus, as you make Him great and yourself small, God says the things that you need, the things even that you desire, they will come in God's timing and in God's way. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things that you're worried about, all these things that you're anxious about, all these things that you're concerned about, He says will be added unto you in His time and in His way. You see, when we move our anxiety and place it before God and accept the things of God as good and right, we will be led to adoration where we will praise the name of God for what He's done, what He is doing, and what He will do, not only in our lives, but in the lives of all those around us. Will you sing Mary's song? Will you this Christmas have yourself a merry little Christmas? Not M-E-R-R-Y, but an M-A-R-Y Christmas where you humble yourself and you allow Jesus to be the real star of the show.